Well, I am excited for this section of scripture this morning. Would you open up to Judges chapter 2 in your app, your physical Bible, whatever you may have. Um, and I am trusting that you are reading ahead, that you're actually in scripture and uh, kind of digesting it and mulling it over before we get here together. Uh, Judges chapter 2 is where we're going to start, and we're going to start at verse 6. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? And as we read it, that this is God's holy, inspired, without error, word to his church. And therefore, it is profitable for you. Even historical Old Testament books are profitable for you this morning. Before we read, let's pray for God's blessing. Father God, this morning we trust you. We trust that through the book of Judges, Lord, that you continue to speak today. As you spoke in the days of old, Lord, your voice is to be clear. So give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive your word. And Lord, bless the reading and the preaching of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Christ speaks to us today like this. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mount, mountain of Gaash. And all the generation also get, were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after their other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherah. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for, for harm. As the Lord had warned them and as the Lord had sworn to them, they were in terrible distress. 
And the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet, they did not listen to their judges. For they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. And they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the, with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of the, those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them, they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people has transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them. Whether they take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand, and he did not give them into the hand of Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who did not who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines, and all the Canaanites, and the Sidonites, and the Hivites, and those who lived in, on Mount Lebanon, from the Mount Baal, Hermon, as far as Lebo Hamath. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters took to themselves for they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So last week we began looking at one of the most depressing books in the Bible, and yet it is also one of the most hopeful books in the Bible, the book of Judges. And one of the questions that we are forced to ask when we are reading through this book is, how could the people of Israel be so stupid? That's the question we've got to be asking. They had everything going for, for them. They had seen God act. The, 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 all the plagues that happened in Israel, his parting the Red Sea and seeing the, all the Egyptians swallowed up. He, they had seen God's salvation, and God kept on raising up for them godly leaders. There was Moses, there was Joshua, there was man after man. He kept on bailing them out time after time after time. And yet, the people of Israel kept on blowing it. 
They just didn't make small mistakes either. They really absolutely blew it. So today's passage, this section here, kind of lays out a pattern for the rest of the book. If you remember last week's reading, it sounds a little bit similar. The first section, verses, uh, chapter 1 through chapter 2, is kind of a, a perspective, a man of what took place. Now this perspective, 2 verse 6 through chapter 3 verse 6, is God's perspective of what is taking place. And what we're going to find out is it's a pattern. It's a cycle that kind of keeps repeating itself over and over. One of the commentators, his name is Ralph Davis that I'm reading, he calls it a, quote, a sort of visitor center film of the book of Judges. If you've ever been to a visitor center, they kind of have these uh, visitor center films that kind of do what? Keep going and going and going and going. It's, it's like a nonstop show. And after a while, it kind of be, becomes a hum in the background. And, but it's not so much, my friends, it's not so much a cycle. It is more of a downward spiral. It's not just kind of going like this. It's going down. And the book of Judges shows that Israel spirals down farther and farther away from God and ultimately deeper and deeper into trouble and sin. It forms a template for most of the book of Judges. And we're going to, going to see as well what is the heart of this downward spiral that is also of a problem for us as it was for the people of Israel. So we're going to be asking three questions this morning. And here are the three questions. What is this downward spiral? Second, what is at the heart, the heart of this downward spiral? And then thirdly, how can we break this downward spiral? So first, what is this cycle, this downward spiral that we are going to see over and over and over again in this book of Judges? This downward spiral that we've read about happens over probably six times in the book of Judges. Six times you're going to see this repeat. Continually, the people of Israel fall into apostasy, apostasy away from God, and they did evil in the sight of their Lord. You're going to see that theme over and over again, that they did evil in the sight of God. You see that in verses 11 and 13, right? Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served Baals. They forsook the Lord, then the God of their ancestors, who brought them up out of Egypt. It was just, just this pattern of being broken time and time again. They rejected God. And yet they still worshipped him. It's a strange thing. They, they, they still worshipped him, but they, what did they do? They added worship of Baal, the Canaanite god, the storm god, who would water their land. And then they would also add worship the god Ashtoreth, who is the, the goddess of fertility. And so as a response to this sin, this idolatry, God sold them 
into the hand of their enemies. Did you see it was actually God who did this? It wasn't just them and just, man, man, my bad luck or my sin. You know, well, this is what happens when you sin. It was actually selling them into a type of cap captivity. He gave them over. And in a way, he also reversed their conquest. Israel's enemies had no power unless God actually allowed it. Verses 14 and 15 said, In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the, the enemies that were all around them. So, and even when they went out to fight, what happened? The hand of the Lord was against them. What a terrible situation. Man, we've got all the tools. We've got everything that we have. We should be able to go. But what happened? Ultimately, it was God who was against him. His hand said, nope. You might have all your human strength today, but I'm not going to allow this. What happened? Ultimately, that led the people of Israel to cry out to God. In desperation, verse 18 says, the Lord relented because of their groaning. Their groaning under this oppression and affliction. The people cried out. And in response, what did God do? God raised up judges. Now, when we think of judges, we think of these men who wear these um, these gowns, these women who wear they be district or supreme court or whoever, they have these black gowns and they, they make decisions from a bench. Well, in reality, these people who were coming in as judges were tribal chiefs. The word also used here is they were deliverers. They were saviors. So they weren't people sitting at the city gates making judgment calls about how things should be done. They were ultimately tribal chiefs who would deliver Israel. He gives them a savior, if you will. Verse 18 says, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge. And he even saved them out of the hands so God was with the judge who was doing the saving. So God then empowered those leaders and gave the enemy into their hands. But it never lasts long. And that's kind of the way it is with sin in our lives, right? It never, we, we have victory for a time. We, we rest in our Savior. But yet, what do we do? We go back. It seems like whenever the judge died, the people returned to their evil ways, and it was even worse. In other words, they go right back to the beginning of the cycle, and it all starts all over again. So they kept this spiral going, and things kept getting worse and worse and worse. Rebellion, oppression, a cry for help, new leadership, and then right back to rebellion, oppression, a cry for help, new leadership, and right back to rebellion again. And you read this and you think, how can they be so stupid? 
How can they be so dumb to get caught up in this pattern again that repeats itself over and over again with such tragic results? Why can't they break out of this pattern? Those dumb Israelites. But if we are honest, my friends, if we are honest, we have to admit that we get caught in cycles just like this. We are Israel. They couldn't just break themselves out of a downward spiral. And my friends, neither can we. The reason that there's a problem is because there's a problem at the heart of this cycle that still affects you and me. It's a problem that pulls us into a downward spiral as well. So we have to ask the second question is, what is at the heart of this downward spiral? What is really going on underneath all this rebellion and turning back and crying out? What really is at the heart of the issue? How do we, how do we get caught in this spiral as well? And if you look carefully, you can see at the heart, at the heart of this downward spiral was this irresistible of idols. No matter how God delivered them, no matter how magnificently he delivered them, they couldn't resist the allure of idolatry. And sadly, the same is true for us. We have a hard time, don't we? Resisting the allure of idolatry. Their problem in one word is that idolatry. As long as our hearts cannot resist the pull of these idols, we will never break free of this downward spiral of idolatry. And I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are going, listen, I have never worshipped an idol before in my life. I don't have a little carved wooden thing in, my, uh, in the corner of my house. I don't light candles to anything. I don't kill anything. I don't sacrifice anything. I don't do anything. I don't pray to the, the storm god named Baal. I don't pray to Ashtaroth, who is the, the fertility goddess. I don't do that. Molech. I don't worship Molech. But the reality is, I wish it was easier than that. It's easy to kind of pinpoint and say, oh, you see what they did? But the fact is, is that we are all idolaters still today. In fact, idolatry is almost behind all of our sins and the problem behind all of our problems. Now, we don't have these bales in Ashtaroth anymore. We don't carve worshipful uh, images to, to bow down to. But idols aren't just images and they aren't just carvings. An idol is anything that we worship. Anything we add to God as a requirement to be happy, to be satisfied. And we do have idols today. Richard Keyes wrote in his book, No God But God, Breaking with the Idols of Our Age. He wrote this. An idol is something within creation to function as God. All sorts of things are potential idols, depending only on our attitudes and actions 
towards them. Is that, is that, all sorts of things are potential idols. To the clothing that you wear, the person that you are sitting next to, the job that you have, your sexuality, which is all these things are gifts from God, but all these things are potential idols. Depending only on our attitudes and actions towards them. And he goes on to say, idolatry may not involve explicit denials of God's existence or character. It may well come in a form of an over-attachment. None of you have over-attachment issues, do you? To your kids? To your job? Your grandkids? Your studies? None of us have over-attachment issues, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, it may well come in the form of an overattachment to something that is in itself perfectly good. And then he goes on to say this last thing. An idol can be a physical object, a property, a person, an activity, a role, an institution, a hope, an image, an idea, a pleasure, a hero. Anything can substitute for God. Anything. Now, I want to pause right here, and I want you to think. It can be any of these things, an idol. What is it for you? Be honest. What is it for you? Because, my friends, any time that we value something or someone more than God, we are committing the sin of idolatry. An idol is a substitute for God that one loves and worships and serves rather than worshiping the one true God. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote that you don't need an actual physical idol to be an idolater. If you look to anything for satisfaction, if, and, and if you have to have it, or have to have him, or have to have her, have to have that, and if you have, if you have to have it, that makes you an idolater. Colossians 3, verse 5, we read it in our confession of sin. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Do you see what Paul is saying? Is idolatry. And greed, we often connect with money, right? No. Greed is the sin behind all sins. It is the chief vice that says, I want more. I want more. It's a condition of our hearts that isn't happy with what we have, that's always looking for more, even good things, for happiness, for our satisfaction. St. Augustine said that this is the essence of sin, inordinate desires, or making good things ultimate. Whenever we do this, we are committing idolatry. Now, here's the thing. John Calvin is known to have said that our, our hearts are idol factories. 
Our hearts are idol factories. The problem with the judges is that, is that they could get rid of all the judges in the land. They, they could go in and wipe out these people, destroy these people. But the problem is they couldn't do anything about the idols that were in the people's heart. Sure, you can remove all the, the, the idols to Baal, all the idols to Ashtoreth. You can remove all the, the things in your life. The minute that we take off our eyes off of God, our heart begins to manufacture idols for us to worship because we have to give our hearts to something, to someone made for, to give affection, to give adoration, to give attention. That is what our hearts are created to do. So right now, you... You are giving or you are tempting, tempted to give your heart to someone else or to something else other than God. Even a, a good thing, a, a, a person, a career, a, a temporary job to your, your academic achievements. Right now you are be, being tempted by the same sin that these people were powerless to resist. The sin of idolatry. My friends, your greatest danger isn't that you'll stop worshiping God and become an atheist. That is not your greatest danger. Your greatest danger is that you are going to combine the worship of God with the worship of idols and you won't even realize it. Did you get that? You're going to synchronize these two things. I can have the worship of God, but I can also have the worship of this other thing that gets me great pleasure and it affirms me, it makes me feel good and happy and I, I've got to have it. And that is our greatest danger. And when you do this, and we all do this, I do this, it's ultimately unsatisfying. Verse 17 says, yet they didn't, would not listen to their judges, but they even prostituted themselves out. They whored themselves out to other gods and worshiped them. The problem with idolatry is it's, it's, it's a lot like prostitution. Prostitutes give themselves away without getting any real pleasure, any real love in return. And when we serve idols... When we, we enter into a relationship which we give ourselves away, but we give back in return. In fact, what happens? Ultimately, there's decay in our soul. We become completely vulnerable, but become little more than slaves. Cornelius Plantinga, a good Dutchman, in his book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, a brevi breviary of sin writes this. All idolatry is not only treacherous, but also futile. Human desire, deep and restless and seemingly unfulfillable, keeps stuffing itself 
with finite goods satisfy. If we try to fill our hearts with anything besides the God of the universe, we will find that, I love this, we find that we are overfed but undernourished. And we find that day by day, week by week, year after year, we are thinning down to a mere outline of a human being. That is what idolatry does to us. We are gorging ourselves what we think is good and necessary. I've got to have this to be a man, to be a woman, to be an employer, to be an employee, to be a father, to be a mother. I've got to have this. And ultimately, it is a terrible replacement for the God of the universe. And ultimately, it leads us to be malnourished. Sin is, is really like continually running from God off country and looking for substitutes for God. And never ever being satisfied. We, we are all caught in this cycle, this downward spiral of idolatry. All of us. It's a downward spiral that we are, honestly, you and I are powerless to resist. That's the bad news. We are powerless to resist this downward spiral. And some of you are going, you don't know my, my, my stamina. You don't know my strength. Yeah, I do. We are Israel. We're all like this. It will ultimately destroy us. There are good things in your life that will destroy you, not because there's anything wrong with them by themselves. There's nothing wrong with being having wonderful children. There's nothing wrong with being making tremendous amount of money. There's nothing wrong with your sexuality. There's nothing wrong with all these things. But They'll destroy you because you'll be tempted to give your heart to your career or your technology or your fitness or to your children more than to your God. You'll take these good things that God has given to you and make them ultimate things. It never satisfies and it will ultimately destroy you. So how can we break, this is the third, out of this downward spiral of idolatry? Well, what isn't the solution we have to ask? Ultimately, we can't deal with idolatry by getting rid of all the things that we're tempted uh, to worship as idols. It would be nice, for instance, if you are, t are tempted by the idolatry of careerism. To be uh, able to quit your job and retire at the ripe age of 30 so that you're not tempted to make your career a god anymore. Right? Uh, but the reality is that you'll probably have to keep working. Uh, we won't be able to get rid of all the idols uh, around us, even if we wanted to. You can clear your life of, man, my wife is my idol. Yeah, nice, right? Well, honey, hit the road, Jack. Don't come back anymore because you're my idol. Your kids, all right, my kids have become an idol. Some of you are going, oh, yes, Lord. Get rid of them. What, what about sexuality? 
Man, my, my, my desire is for to be satisfied in a sexual way. Well, you know what I'm going to do? Get rid of it. Whatever is a problem. God said in verse 22 that he was going to leave these nations and their idols as a way of testing Israel. We will never, my friends, we will never be free of temptation to give in, and to giving ourselves into worship. God has left those nations in Israel for the purpose of testing their love for him. So the solution isn't even for a change of our outward circumstances. We talked about that last outward circumstances in verses 16 and 17. God raised up judges who saved them out of their hands of those, those evil raiders, those other nations. Yet they didn't listen to the judges. And they, they gave themselves to other gods and worshipped other gods. So the solution isn't removing those extra circumstances but then you look in verses 18 and 19 whenever God raised up a judge this tribal chief for them a savior a deliverer he was the judge he was with the judge sorry and he saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived for the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed them but when the judge died what happened the people went to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, their ancestors. They refuse to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. The problem isn't a change of your out, outward circumstances. That would really just, all right, I'm done with that. That's why, by the way, religion cannot cure idolatry. Religion is essentially just about trying harder, following the rules. Some of you are rule keepers. You know who you are. And it's just like, man, if I just follow the rules even harder, I'll be able to please God. The, the problem with religion and rule following is that despite all of your efforts, nothing really changes. That's why yelling at people say, you shouldn't have idols, really does nothing. You can't get rid of all the idols in your house. You, you can get rid of all the idols in your house, but ultimately, you will still have idols in your heart. So what is the answer? The answer is that we need a judge and a savior who cannot only change our circumstances but can also change our heart that's the kind of judge that we need there's a story that is told about a before the civil war days before the american slaves were were freed about a northerner he happened to be a a pastor who went to a slave auction and he purchased a young slave girl and as they walked away from the auction, the man turned to the girl and told her, you're free. And with amazement, she responded, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? And he said, yes. 
and to say whatever I want to say? Yes, anything. Yes. And even go where I want to go? Yes, he answered with a smile. You're free to go wherever you'd like. And she looked at him intently and replied, then I will go with you. When she really understood what this man had done for her, she was not only set free, but her heart was changed as well. The gospel. This is how the gospel works. That God knew we could not on our own break free from cycle of idolatry ourselves. But God sent the ultimate judge who not only rescues us, but also changes our hearts as well. So I, I want us to pray, but I want you to remember a couple things as we pray and as we wrap this up. First, I, I want you to remember this morning that we do have a problem. Every one of you we all have problems. And our problem is that we cannot break out of this cycle of idolatry on our own. We are all idolaters. You can get rid of all the idols that you have in your life. But as John Calvin said, that your heart is, a, is an idol factory and it's just going to something else that you want to give yourself to. And the problem isn't even the idols themselves. The problem, my friends, that we need to remember, the problem is our hearts. So when you are counseling people, when you are looking at your own life, when you are walking along with people through this life, remember, it's not their circumstances that are ultimately their problem. It's not ultimately your problem. Ultimately, at the heart of the issue is our heart. But I want you to remember this as a second thing. That God, in his good grace, has sent a judge. The ultimate judge to break the cycle of idolatry that only would lead to our death. He sent his son, the ultimate judge, and he not only set us free, but he has changed our hearts completely. So we are going to worship together in a little bit. And one of the first songs that we are going to sing uh, is a heart. Matt Redman wrote that song. Uh, a number of years ago about his church idolizing worship. And they stopped all instrumentation for a long period of time because his heart was to get back to the heart of worship. And that ultimately is our goal too, is getting back to the heart of worshiping you, God. It's all about you. So let's take a moment, confess our sins, and then let's enter into a time of joy worship to the one who can totally save our souls. Let's pray.